Welcome to Cypherspeak, Artifacts, Ciphers, and Podities. I'm here with my co-host, Darcy, who is an enthusiastic game ambassador who mutates mollusks. And my co-host is Troy, an improvising game master who plays to find the end of the story. And this is Cypherspeak. Today, our artifact is a really important component of the cipher system called the GM intrusion. We'll throw some ciphers at it to understand how it affects the experience of both the GM and the player. But first, Troy, would you like to introduce the artifact? Sure. A GM intrusion is a mechanic within the cipher system where the GM creates a complication for a character, offering two XP to them, one they get to keep and one they give to another player. The player can accept the intrusion and the XP or pay one experience point to reject the intrusion. So a GM intrusion is a complication, but it's not inherently bad. The Taking the Narrative by the Tail Glimmer, the PDF-only supplement for Numenera, gives a lot of examples Mm -hmm. and is totally worth a read, so we'll put a link in the show notes. The GM intrusion is only required to take the story in a new and interesting direction. So some examples of what form a GM intrusion could take would be you drop your sword in the middle of combat. A bad thing happens, right? Complication. Yep. Or it could be that the famous uh, player character is undercover, but their fan club arrives during combat. Potentially, they're an asset and they help out. Or potentially, they're in the way needing to be rescued. You have to play to find out what happens. Exactly. So to move to a pop culture reference, in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, uh, Harry Potter gets talked at by a snake in the zoo, right? Really early scene. Mm -hmm. Um, It ends up being a really chaotic encounter, but fundamentally, he's learning that he has this cool new ability called Parcel Tongue. So it introduces a new and interesting complication that turns out kind of bad, but kind of good in the long run. Yep. Yeah. Great, great character development can happen that way. Absolutely. A uh, intrusion can also happen to the whole group of your player characters. For instance, if they're all aboard a space station and that station takes a direct hit and maybe the compartment that they're in opens to space and now they have to deal with that new situation as a group. Yeah. Group intrusions can be really fun like that. Yeah. For a second pop culture reference, I would say that Luke, I am your father is a great GM intrusion. You know, it's not any violence. It's not any physical complication. It's just a shattering emotional reveal that happens at just the right time. You know, the game master plotted for that moment to sort of turn the story to this new interesting complication, right? Probably one of the best intrusions of all time, really. Yeah, props George Lucas here. Great, great cypher system game master. Um, Now that we've introduced our artifact of the GM intrusion, why don't we move on to our first cipher? So Troy, tell me about what the GM intrusion does for you as a game master. So as a game master, you know, as we talked about, they're not always bad, but they're complications and they're drama that you put into your story. And oftentimes, these are what make your story interesting. If your PCs are just sailing along and and nothing bad ever happens to them or, or their plans always work or things always go their way, then it's not fun or interesting. So a lot of times complicating their story in interesting ways makes the story interesting and for everybody, not only for the game master, but for the players as well. 
And what I appreciate about the GM intrusion is it is a mechanical way to break the rules for the game master. You know, if you're playing some other systems, the GM will do things that we would consider an intrusion, right? He will say, oh yeah, that dragon totally can stick his head inside of that cavern when his head is really too big for it or whatever. Depending on your players, they may get upset and say, oh, that can't happen. Or it really depends on how your players respond to that particular action. Whereas with the cipher system, you just say, here's your GM intrusion. This happens. And then they know that, yes, essentially the GM is breaking the rules here, but it's part of the game. So it's really not breaking the rules. So that's one thing that I really like about it. I think that it also encourages the GM to think of interesting complications that could happen to players and to respond to player actions in an interesting way. We've all probably had, you know, a scenario where we are playing and we're the GM and the players do something that we know is just not going to work out for them. But sometimes even though you set the difficulty high or whatever, it still works out. They still make that that really good roll. And so with the GM intrusion, you can say, hey, yep, you succeeded at this thing, but it still complicated you in this way um, because, you know, it really wasn't a good plan to begin with. Um, <laughs> so, so those kind of things, it really allows you to create interesting things in the story. And then I think that the one thing to not be overlooked from a GM perspective is that the ability for a player to reject an intrusion should be an important item for a game master to take note of. I have had very few intrusions of mine rejected, but if you have players rejecting your intrusions, I think it's worthwhile to ask why. It could be that they just have a lot of extra XP and they don't want the complications. And if so, that's fine. Maybe find a way to, to get rid of some of that XP. Or it could be that maybe what you think are good and interesting complications either don't interest your players or are too harsh for your players. You know, and all of those different things, you know, are things to take into account. So I guess my recommendation as far as this is, is if you find players are rejecting your GM intrusions with some regularity, uh, make sure that you maybe have a discussion with them and say, hey, I noticed you guys rejected a couple intrusions tonight. Can you just give me some feedback on why? But it really lets the GM know that this is my story and what I'm going for, but are the players on board with that story and those complications? That's a great point. One thing I found, especially in like one shots, is um, I try to set a good GM intrusion example, you know, because <laughs> a lot of players who are first encountering one are like, oh, no, the bad thing is happening. Yep. Crap. Especially for my planned one-shots, I try to make sure the first GM intrusion is maybe even a little silly or the outcome is definitely not just all bad. And that tends to to sort of help them realize what these things are going to be and that they can be really exciting. Yeah, yeah. They're supposed to be more interesting than just bad. Yeah. And I think people get it really fast, faster than I almost would have expected. Mm -hmm. People look forward to them, I yeah, think, pretty yeah, fast, sure. often. Cool. So Darcy will now cipher our artifact from the player perspective. Excellent. So GM intrusions are a mechanic I really love. One thing that Troy's discussion also made me think about is that, let me tag along on the GM perspective briefly here. They're an opportunity to get me out of a rut, you know? Like I try to think, oh, I haven't done a GM intrusion in a while. What can I add that's kind of new and exciting? 
But now sure. I will move to the player's perspective. One of the things that as a player I really enjoy about GM Intrusions is that, as I mentioned, it makes failure fun. So GM Intrusions get triggered on a one in addition to the ones that the GM doles out as appropriate. And in a lot of games, rolling a one is like this terrible thing. And, you know, sometimes sometimes it's just badness rains down on you and everything <laughs> is terrible. <laughs> so um, when you roll the one, you don't get the XP. But a lot of these GM Intrusions, the way the Cypher system sets them up – is to be, you know, interesting complications and um, not necessarily all bad. And so I think that's kind of a good learning experience as a player to like get used to failing and failing's okay and failing can be fun. And, you know, not min-maxing all the time, not winning the game can be really fun. And so mm -hmm. I think it's, I, I've felt it at my tables really promote players getting into failing almost to the point where it's a bad thing. It's like, no, like stop GM intruding yourself. I could do that. Please stop. <laughs> but um, I, I think those reactions all show that it's it's a really good mechanic for players and it, and it turns failure into a different whole experience. So I really like that. When the GM actually does the intrusion not based on a role, I think the XP give out sort of reduces the sting a bit. It, it just totally takes so much of the the worry and anxiety over a failure out of it and turns it toward this kind of forward momentum of like, okay, so this thing happened, now what? You know, mm -hmm. it's not focusing on, oh, I failed or I failed a party or I failed this important role. Um, it just, it really kind of keeps the energy moving forward. So with respect to the, you know, you get this XP that takes the sting out of the GM intrusion, you know, you have to give an XP to another player. I think that's a really clever little mechanic that's in there. It just reminds you when you're at a player at a table that like, you know, I don't know, sometimes when I'm playing, I can get a little in my head. I'm thinking about my character, my really cool outfit, this weird cipher I really want to use, you know, having to like give out XP to another player. It just reminds you of like, we're all here together. It just kind of brings your attention back to the people sitting at the table with you and sort of, I, I don't know, I, I get the sense that it it promotes a bit more like cooperation. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, you're you're thinking of your other players and the other PCs. Um, so I think that's a really clever little subtle th effect that has that really changes the play dynamic for me, especially with new players, you know, they don't know each other yet, maybe at a, at a con or something. So that goes a long way. So I guess I want to talk next about the energy at the table and how GM intrusions affect that. If you're in a game and, you know, you're starting to get into this planning mode and you're starting to get into what if this, then this, okay, we're going to do this. And, you know, this player is going to go here. You can kind of get stuck in this like cycle of planning too much and not actually <laughs> doing anything, which is really bad in a convention game, right? So GM intrusions can really like crystallize the focus for the players, I think. Mm -hmm. um, at least I've seen that a lot. Like the GM holds up two XP and no matter what weird conversation you were having, you're like, oh my gosh, a big thing is going to happen. And while technically that could have happened any time, you don't need GM intrusion cards or GM intrusion to like make a big thing happen. But the cards being held up, especially like really signals, oh my gosh, we're at the precipice of something momentous. Everybody shuts up <laughs> and they really get focused. I've noticed that happen a lot at Cypher System games. On the other side of sort of pacing and energy, if players are about to blow through a really cool room that you made, maybe that's fine. But maybe, you know, you think it's worth it for them to see something interesting that's there, whether it's dangerous or good or cool. A GM intrusion could be, you know, oh, the PC catches a glint of something out of the corner of their eye down by the cupboard. I've even done that as the whole GM intrusion. All it is is you catch something, but usually player curiosity totally wins out. And they're going to go check out that thing. And maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but it, it lets me signal there's an interesting thing. Go check it out. And uh, 
it doesn't make me feel like I'm forcing them. They could still pay me the XP not to have any consequences come from it, or they could just ignore it and let something happen. But um, it's a way to communicate there's more here than meets the eye if they're about to run around. So I think those are mainly my my points. Yeah, just a couple of things that I thought of while Darcy was going through her her player stuff there, you know, relates maybe back to a GM perspective a little bit here. I think that having cards or poker chips or something to physically hand your players or to, as Darcy mentioned, signal your players is very important. It's a great way to let your players know, yep, it's coming. This is this is what it is. Or like I'll sometimes hold up the cards as I'm describing what's happening so they know that yeah. it's a GM intrusion that, that is currently occurring to them without having to really like break the flow of the game and say, this is a GM intrusion. You know, you just can kind of let it flow and let it go from there. The other thing that I that you kind of mentioned is, you know, players intruding on themselves, <laughs> um, you know, and other players. And I think that you, you don't necessarily want them like purposely creating uh, intrusions for themselves or for other players. But I think that, you know, when an intrusion does happen, especially on a roll of a one, sometimes looking to your players for ideas is a great, yes. a great place to start. And oh, great point. that definitely gets your players invested in the GM intrusion mechanic, right? To say, I got to decide on this thing that happened, this complication either for my character or for the group. And that, that really just gives the players some input into their characters. Even if they're bad things happening, now the players have kind of come up with this bad thing. And it's that is not such a good point. <laughs> it, it, <Yes>. <laughs> it's not always the GM just adversarially doing it to them. So, yeah. And a lot of times players will have more creative and occasionally more cruel <laughs> yeah. ideas for their own characters. It gets them more invested in their own character. What do they think their character's failing would be here? You know? Yeah, for sure. Ah, such a good point. Cool. All right, Troy. I think we covered the ciphers pretty well. I guess we should move on to the potities. So what's your potity for this week? My potity this week is Reactive Ciphers by Mark Plord. Um, these are something that he uh, did in a blog post on his blog, Inspiration Strikes, which we will have a link to in the show notes. And he has a great idea for ciphers that activate on a trigger for instance, if you fail a roll or you are hit by an attack, this cipher automatically like turns on and does its thing. Um, and I, I think that it was just a cool uh, take on ciphers that we haven't seen before and something yeah. that definitely, you know, got the wheels turning for some ideas of ciphers that that we could use. For instance, like traditional D&D, like Featherfall is a cipher, right? You have this oh, th this thing in your pocket yeah. that activates if you fall more than, you know, 20 feet and it detects that you're still falling and then it creates some sort of field around you and, you know, you gently float to the ground or Awesome. And Mark definitely has some examples in his blog post as well, but it's just a cool idea, I think, just expanding what you can use ciphers for. So how about you, Darcy? That's great. So I also have an article. It's from January of 2016, but it stuck with me so bad that I really have to shout it out. And especially it's been on my mind because I've been thinking about using the cipher system to hack all of my favorite fandoms because it for works sure. for so much. But lately on my mind has been some Bioware games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age, which have pretty cool, lore-filled, distinctive mm. species, races that you can be as a PC. 
one of the ways you can represent that in the cipher system as written is to just give it a descriptor. So you, instead of a charming Jack who bears a shard of the sun, you're a Latimore Jack who bears the shard of the sun. Often, I really like those descriptors to have that personality feel. Sure. Um, and in certain settings, you might want to be able to keep that descriptor separate from your race. So you could just totally leave it out mechanically and that'd be fine. But um, one solution that Jeremy Land had in issue four of the Cyphercaster magazine from January, which will be in the show notes, has this really cool short little zippy article that totally blew my mind <laughs> on using flavors to represent races, like race characteristics instead. Um, so flavors are a new introduction of the cipher system on page 50 if you want to check it out. But essentially you get to trade out type abilities for a selection of the flavor abilities. So like, you know, you sacrifice this thing you would have gotten for being a jack and you pick up this uh, mechanical reflection of your species. And, you know, you kind of get to pick and choose. You don't have to do it every level, but you can sort of gain in power as you as you maybe age as a species. You can really play with that or as you master your your own innate powers. That article is really – it really kind of blew open what flavors can be used to do um, mechanically. And so I really want to play around with that. But check out that article. It's great. Yeah. Um, it'll be in the show notes. And that, that issue is one of my favorite of the many great cover arts for that magazine. So it's got <laughs> – a really cool Star Wars Ray inspired character scavenger girl on the front. So in immediately endearing me to it. Um, lots of other good stuff in it. So check it out. Mm -hmm. um, link will be in the show notes. It's really good. Great. So this has been the episode. If you would like to reach us, you can reach me on Twitter at Darcy L. Ross, D-A-R-C-Y-L-R-O-S-S. And you can find me at Troy P23, T-R-O-Y-P-23. We'd love it if you would send us your feedback, suggest artifacts, ciphers, or podities at cypherspeakpod at gmail.com. Or you can just hit us up on Twitter with those uh, ideas and we will catalog them for future shows. Otherwise, you can find our shows at cypherspeak.com and we would really appreciate it if you subscribed or rated us on iTunes. So, Troy, what curveball did you throw your PCs this week? Well, you see... <laughs> this is really a show. Cypherspeak is a member of the Misdirected Mark Podcast Network, the media arm of Encoded Designs. <laughs>